Outrocast. Jeff, it is an honor and a pleasure. My honor and my pleasure. How's your day going aside from answering the same questions over and over and over again for me? No, they said you're doing you're doing like an erotic, spicy interview. So I'm ready for you, Darren. Again. Uh, well, I mean the Cardi B background makes it the erotic <laughs> and spicy uh part of this whole thing. But is it a good day for you so far, aside from, you know, hey, so my character came from this and I didn't know it was season five, you know, that kind of a thing. Yes, yes, it's it's great. Apart from that, apart from like, I, I might as well just have like a soundboard, like you know, you see a children's book, you just hit a couple, a couple different yeah. catchphrases. Yeah, so I'm gonna do what I can to ask as many of those same questions over and over <laughs> and over to bother you. Well, is it still a coffee o'clock by you? Oh, you already know it. Well, tea. I'm having. I'm sipping the tea. And and you've already gotten four workings, four uh, workouts in today, or two? One workout. You know, you, I think you you've been spying on me. Well, I mean, Rochester people are the greatest, and you're a Rochester person, but we're going to come back to that. Let's talk about (laughs) Double Cross Season 5. Did you know going in, hey, this is the final season? No, I didn't. um, There was speculation, but I would say shooting halfway through, they're like, you know, I went to go visit AMC, and they're like, yeah, so, um, you know, this is the final season. I'm like, wait, what? Um, so I, I think a, a sense of urgency got cultivated once I found that out. And then you, you start to like save the little moments like, man, I'm really not going to see these people again unless it's on a different project. So it was definitely, you know, weird news. When I was a kid back in the Stone Age, a final episode of a series was the final episode. Nowadays, we know there's reboots, there's TV movies, there's spinoffs, there's universe kind of stuff. So I don't think it's the last time we're ever going to see you with all this. But, you know, going back season one. Were you thinking ahead going, hey, this is going to go five seasons or anything like that? Oh, no, not at all. No, not at all. And it's, it's funny, it's going from 2019, which seems like yesterday, that I was literally auditioning in Vegas and I was doing a bunch of stuff that was just not good for actors that I would never do. Like, namely, um, I had the script on an iPad and like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my um, uh, audition and I'm just reading off the script and I'm because I just... I had bombed about five um, auditions and I was like, you know what? I don't even care about this one. And I was like, yeah, I'm just reading off the book. I was like, look at me. I was like, I-, I wish they would say something. And you know, at that time I didn't have an agent or anything like that. And I read it and then they called back like, yeah, we want to hire you. And I'm like, wait, but I've been bombing interviews and I, and I like held the book. That's like rule number one, do not hold the book. Like, you know, so it- it's just, it's-, it's different to look back on this five-year journey, but no, I didn't, I didn't think that that would be five seasons and there's no way. I thought rule one was act like you don't care. Um, a little bit. And the reason I say is because just about every job I've ever gotten, you know, I had been warmed up to the interviewing process and I just went, ah, I don't care. I'm just going to be honest now. I'm not going to do any of the pretentious things. And it sounds like in your case, that's what happened with you. Uh, there's the famous story about Ed O'Neill when he got married with children, that he'd come in in his sweaty racquetball clothes and he did the, Ugh. And that's why they wanted him because he didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's like literally letting go and letting God and stop being so rigid on everything. Just like, yeah, whatever. If I get it, I get it. Now you were in Vegas for the auditions. Did you live out there or that's just where the auditions were? No, I had just bought a Lamborghini and I wanted to test it. So I drove from California to Vegas, like a weirdo. Everybody tries to like hold, you know, like, Oh, like this precious little car and no miles. I was like, I'm taking this thing, you know, six hours of Vegas because I got stuck in traffic. But yeah, I was I was not doing acting stuff in Vegas. I was at a fitness expo and like right. acting 
there was a buffet that I was eyeing because it's like, you know, go to the fitness expo, look good. And then it's like, go eat your face off. So like acting was not, I was I was actually going there after bombing all the auditions just to like clear my head. Was that the Venetian buffet? It was. That's the buffet. I think you got a spy camera on me, dude. No, no. Here's where I'm going. The wife and I got married in Vegas. I used to spend a lot of time in Vegas. And when people talk about the buffet and they're under the age of 60, if for some reason it's that one Venetian buffet. I don't know oh, if God. anyone does a buffet anymore. It's the crab legs and all that, the Venetian. That, buffet, that was the best buffet I've ever been to. So, I mean, it's difficult to go to like any other one now. Like, I think it's just, I'm just comparing it to like, you know, the cream of the crop here. Right. So, hey, going back to the success with Double Cross and all that kind of stuff, how far ahead are you looking in your career? Because obviously, when you say, oh, okay, so I was on this show as the lead for five seasons, opportunities come crawling and knocking, but at the same time, you want to be careful about your next step because you want the next thing to be as good, if not better. Yep. Um, you have to be careful with, with the roles you take. Um, I've done a romantic comedy where there's no guns, there's no swearing, there's no anything. And I've, I've, I did two, um, well, those are feature films, two feature films of a romantic comedy. And then um, I did a thriller. Is, which Is that like, Gangster's Daughter you're talking about? No, Gangster's Daughter is like, I'm a thug at that one. I'm talking about, uh, it's Valentine's Day Crush is oh. the rom-com. And then um, uh, there's another one called Deadly Getaway where it's a thriller. And honestly, all those came with no audition just because they seen double cross. So like, I'm like, Oh, like I'm, I'm actually, cause I have a, I have a, like part of my success. I have a real issue with knowing how, how far I am. Like I, sometimes I, I just don't know. Cause I don't compare it. And then if, if I don't get any reinforcement, cause like I spend a lot of time like alone, I don't have like somebody over me, like a mentor, like, Hey, like you're doing great. So I'm just like, Oh, gotta work more. Gotta work more. And um, when I sit back, I'm just like, yeah, that that was like four films that year, like off of Double Cross, no auditions, just, hey, can you come here in a week? And I like learn the, the lines in a week and I like fly out and do it. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely a catapult for me. Double Cross was. I think you're the only cast or crew member to been driving the Lamborghini before Double Cross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I assume that is due to your prior success in the fitness industry and modeling and that kind of a thing. So are you also working on that grind of your career as well? Is it just all acting and producing? Oh yeah, it's 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 everything. I, like it was funny, you, you you said something memorable last time. You're like, yo, dude, you got like seven jobs. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, that was last year and I thought it was so funny, but it is it's like, you know, there's uh, the supplement company, then yeah. I, I end up writing a book. Um, because yeah, last time, time I, I, I didn't know about the book and you yeah. told me that and I, I smartened up right there. Yeah, like I, I wrote a book because I went to go get my, um, it was either credit or taxes or something done by this like celebrity credit person, right? James Hunt. And I'm looking around his office. He has all these books and he's just like, and I'm like, damn, how many books have you written? He's like six. And then he's like, have you written a book? And I was like, no. And he stopped what he was doing and looked at me like I had six heads. And I'm like, should I have written a book? And he's like, I'm not going to say anything, but the look he gave me was so like disgusted. Like, why haven't you written a book yet? I was like, I need to go write a book now. <laughs> so I did. I wrote it in a week. Um, like I wrote it in between uh, my three-year-old napping and him sleeping. And I, and I wrote Becoming the Beast Handbook. This Believe is about like, the beast mindset. You're not the only author. This one came out uh, this month about David Lee Roth. You ever encounter Van Halen or David Lee Roth at any point of your career? Not yet. Well, that, that ties in. I, I called out Rochester up front 
And Rochester is one of these cities where all these famous people are from there, yet no one connects the dots. Like no one thinks of Kristen Wiig as being from Rochester. Right. And no one thinks of Lou Graham from Foreigner as being there. And there's that world famous House of Guitars store. Did you ever go into House of Guitars? I have been to House of Guitars. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the wrestler who passed a couple of years ago, Brody Lee or Luke Harper, he was another Rochester guy. Do you ever encounter him? No, I haven't. But um, we I ended up eating. It was me, Adam Weitzman, and a bunch of WWE people, and we ate dinner. And um, like seeing how big these people were. And the funny thing is, like you say, I had seven jobs. I tried out for WWE, like in um, I forgot what year that was. Maybe 2015, 2016, I tried out for WWE. And I grew a different, a whole different respect. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not cut out for this. And I got a whole different respect for those people. <laughs> yeah. In that case, not only do you have to be able to speak, you have to stay in shape. You have to be able to take a lot of pain and then deal with the travel grind. That's yeah. the part that people don't really realize. So you're smarter than them because you stay in the same place while <laughs> staying shredded and being able to speak. Right. Yeah, so I'm not taking those bumps. Those bumps were something different. I woke up that pain. I play college football. I've I've done bodybuilding. That pain I woke up with after that tryout, I was like, oh no, this is insane. Well, did they come to you because of the Arnold Classic? No, uh, they pretty much it, it was an image thing how I looked, but it was through it was through fitness. It was through fitness. Yeah, it's interesting to see how many what percentage of the people have no wrestling experience and they go, you just look good. We saw you at a fitness expo. Come here and do that. So I'm sure at the time you went, oh, man, I failed. And now you go, thank God I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. <laughs> OK, so what I've learned today is I think you now have eight jobs, not seven. No, my God. And uh, Double Cross is ending, but don't close the door on that. We're going to see you plenty more. We just have to wait until the Hollywood Reporter or Variety embargo lifts. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, I think I think it should be lifted. And, you know, the strike just ended. And um, I've been auditioning. So, I mean, you should see me very soon. I can't put out, you know, what I've been auditioning for. But it's been some pretty significant projects. So uh, you should be seeing me very soon. You will be seeing me very soon. And another book in your future, or are you one and done? Oh, I started the second one. I started already. Becoming the Beast's Body. It's about how to, you know, that's, that, that one's about the mind, and this next one is about the body. Got it. Are you a big IF kind of person for the, the body stuff? Um, yes and no. Like, I, I have my times where I, where I fast, but, like, I, I'm not, like, there's a there's a section in our fasting. I think, I'm telling you, you have a freaking camera somewhere planted on me. And you can't be looking at me naked because how did you know that I had a fasting part hey, in there? Don't tell the wife. <laughs> okay, so there's a book coming. There's more roles coming. The fitness guy's happening. Do you now have three Lamborghinis or just two? Oh my god, I don't want to talk about Lamborghinis. Let's let's, let's keep it because then <laughs> people are gonna be looking for me. But I, I I did look at one yesterday. I'm so guilty. I'm so guilty. Who looks at Lamborghinis in the winter time? You can't even freaking drive it. I'm sitting here like, hey, do you still have this? But that's my obsession. I don't care like about clothes, literally not wearing any pants right now. I don't care about clothes and like, you know, different things. I like watches and vehicles. That's me. That's me. Watches and vehicles. Hmm. Jeff, you inspire uh, and really looking forward to whatever is next, whether you're the writer, you're on camera, you're telling the people what to do, whatever it is, keep up all the greatness out there. Darren, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time, dude. Outrocast. Mark, how's your day going aside from answering the same questions over and over and over again? 
It's been great. And you know what? There have not been a lot of the same questions. Everybody's got a little something different and, and which is neat because I, I, you know, it's good to hear some feedback and see what people are curious about. It's really great. Well, I'm going to get to the unique questions after I ask you about season three and say, congrats on a season three. A lot of my favorite shows never got to season three. So when did you find out, Hey, we're coming back. Um, would have found out like last February, um, uh, before we, we, and then, and then you're like, Oh boy, this is exciting. And then you, uh, which is great because, um, this is his last year of junior high. So we get to end our season with a kind of a junior high graduation and stuff like that. So, um, then, then hopefully if there's a next year, then we'll be moving to a different school. So it's kind of bittersweet in a way that we kind of said goodbye to the school we use in, in the, uh, in the show. But yeah, no, it's it's been every year is a gift and it's such a, a delight to come back. And and for people like Malcolm and and Benjamin, who Malcolm who plays my father, Malcolm mm -hmm. and uh, my grandfather, rather, and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth, who plays young me, like that's their first experience, really. Not Malcolm's first experience, but one of his only ones coming back to something. Normally, they right. don't film for a one off. So it's neat to have our little family year to year. Now, when a show is based on a book, sometimes it's to the T and then other times they just use it as a starting point and then evolve it. In your case, it's evolved in a wonderful organic way. How far ahead are you mentally in terms of going, this can go eight seasons and I know where this is going to go. Um, it could go six seasons and I know where it's going to go, which would be the end of high school. There's one year after that, which would be kind of fun to do. Cause I, I went off on this kind of a, madcap adventure kind of thing so it'd be a, a, a thing but really i think if we get to six years if we we're lucky enough which a lot of shows end at um it would really give it a nice arc and a good ending him leaving high school and becoming you know a comedian um would be uh, kind of neat to do in the states the magic number is episode 100 because that's when you can go to syndication what's the magic number in canada is there such a thing one we're just so lucky to have, you know, well, there's only so many channels here, so we don't worry too much about uh, a syndication. But yeah, I think if you any show gets up around those those six seasons or whatever, it's it's pretty great. But uh, we're just happy to be doing it, to be honest. The other show I'm on, it's a it's a, a sketch comedy show called uh, Twenty Two Minutes. That's been on mm -hmm. for thirty one years, so it's the longest running show in Canada. So um, who knows? <laughs> so I actually want to ask you about that and another thing. Yeah. For season one of Sandra Critch. But in terms of the show that you just mentioned, the sketch comedy show, you kind of became known for your man on the street kind of stuff, the accosting people. Did any influence from that come from Howard Stern? No, no, no. Um, I do, we didn't get Howard Stern. I, I know Howard Stern. My brother's a big fan of Howard Stern being in radio. But no, it was uh, um, when the show first started, uh, 31 years ago, it was a different cast. And one thing they would do is they would kind of like just run up to the prime minister and start shouting questions and things like right. that. And then, so when I started, I kind of fell into that role where you had to kind of like hide in a parking lot waiting for a politician to come out. And then you'd pop up and do this uh, interview while they're trying to get away from you. And then, but then over the years, then you get well-known, you can't hide anymore. So nowadays I'll have a sit down interview with Justin Trudeau. I'll interview him a couple of times a year, but he'll be planned. I'll go see him. I'll sit down. It's not as fun. It's a lot easier because you don't have to hide as much right. and pop out and you have less Mounties grabbing you, which was always the, 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 the scary part. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can imagine that it's easier in that you now are on the docket, so you don't have to wear a disguise. Your blood pressure doesn't go, okay, now, but at the Let's same time, now you I, have to be... People know me here, right? So when yeah. I pop out, they'll be like, oh, it's that guy. In the States, we've done it, you know, a, a bunch of times. And I remember uh, George Bush uh, popping out and uh, the, your police officers didn't like that. And John Kerry has popped out. They didn't like that. And yeah. like lots of different policies over, over the years. So it's like a di lot different because because like if I, if I pop out here in Canada, like, oh, it's that guy. As a pop out in the states, it's like he has a gun, so it's a different. Uh, it's a different. It's a microphone. So, mic so I learned not to do that down there. Yeah, that has always been a fascinating thing to me about which Canadian artists are huge in Canada and the rest of the world, but not the states, and then which Canadian artists are huge in Canada but not Canada, uh, but the states but not Canada. You always have that ongoing kind of thing, but. I'm complimenting your career regardless of how recognizable you are to <laughs> political people. Now, in terms of the first episode of the show, you have two references to one of my favorite bands in there, Van Halen. Now, I'm wondering, was that you or which writer was that? that, no, that Van was, Halen? that was me because they were very popular on the playground. I was a uh, kid who... Um, grew up kind of liking older music because everybody in my house liked that. I was like kind of a Dean Martin Sinatra, 1960s right. Beach Boys, things like that, like pet sounds and stuff. And then you get in and I would have to keep, I had a Van Halen cassette tape and I had an ACDC cassette tape on me in my book bag. So when people would ask me, who do you like? I'd go, these guys. And it was almost like a security pass to get by the tough kids. But uh, then I came to appreciate it later on in life. But yeah, no, Van Halen ruled our playground. Okay, so here's a theory that I had, and I need you to, to spell whether or not it was true about that. Because you talk about Van Halen, but then it plays the Poison song. Yes. So so Van, did Van Halen turn down the licensing request? No, I don't think. What that was meant to be was kind of like a, just like a, a mixtape, you know, of what was on there. Because you tape so many songs off the radio. And we did, I can't remember, Van Halen may have been too expensive, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then... Poison. We asked uh, Poison, and for some reason, Poison knew me. They were like, oh, that's that guy, Critch. He's a comedian, right? And they're like, yeah, I go, yeah, he could have our song. I was like, what? Paul Anka, we we have a Diana in there, and, he's, and he said, anything for a good Canadian kid, yeah. and gave us the song. And then this year, in our season opener, we have Kokomo by the Beach Boys, which, mm -hmm. were, which was a number one song that year. So I tried to get real songs in there because Nothing puts you in a place and nothing brings you back a memory like hearing an actual song from the time. Right. So you what I'm hearing is you play the Canadian card when you need to, but that's not always. Oh, man, I will lean into the Canadian card. I will I will bleed maple syrup if it, if it gets me a cool tune. I can tell you that right now. So. You just mentioned the sketch comedy show, the longest running show. Obviously, this show, season three, you're looking ahead to future seasons. You're also a very prolific philanthropist. You do a lot of charity work as well. But have I missed any of the active projects that are going on? Currently active, like like charity things? Are we allowed to know that you're working on anything else? Because sometimes when you ask somebody, you look at the IMDb and it shows six forthcoming projects, but none of them are announced so they can't talk about it. And other times people go, oh, I'm an open book. I'm going to tell you everything I'm working on. I have six underdeveloped screenplays. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I tell you what, what's coming up for me. Uh, I have uh, working on 22 minutes, which is a kind of like a, we, we make up the show each week, like Saturday Night Live. So that's pretty much all your time. Plus doing 
uh, post-production on season uh, three of this show as well. And uh, I also am about to write my third book. I'm writing my third book now with Penguin Random House. So uh, outside of that, <laughs> I'm, I have no time. It's it's a lot. And I I really admire that. So it doesn't sound like you're going to be like the letter Kennedy people and go, you know what, we have to break America. We're going to spend all of our free time breaking America and said <laughs> you're happy with what you have, which is two shows on at the same time, a book deal and the philanthropy. Yeah, well, it's like it's a kind of thing, too, like where I think, you know, the big American whale is always something people are trying to, to get here. But what I I always want to tell personal stories and 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 write about your own life or, or your experiences. And so if that translates in the States to be enough people dig it, that's great. But um, I've, you know, I've always, it, it, this is a weird way to, to end up on American television. A lot of people go down and they'll, uh, you know, audition to be the neighbor on a sitcom their whole life and, and hope. Yeah. But in, in this way, it's kind of like we've, we've taken this weird back door. But uh, no, I'm just delighted that, you know, some people are, are are enjoying it down there and we're hearing from lots of them. And um, it's, you know, you never know how people will find it, but they do, you know, a friend might suggest it or they're watching or they hear about it and something like this. And so uh, just spreading the word and uh, and hoping people like it. They like it in the Paltrow household. Keep up Yay. the great work. Looking forward to season four, fingers crossed. And uh, just keep up all the great work, Mark. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate the time. Tony, I'm going to say good afternoon. It's good morning here, but is it good afternoon to you? Yeah, it's uh, 5.30-ish p.m. here. So Okay, good yeah. evening. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time. Evening, yeah. uh, how's your day My going pleasure. aside from answering the same questions from journalists over and over and over again? Luckily, also answering some new and fresh questions every now and again. So it, it, it's, it's always great that someone asks like this question. No one has asked this yet today so it, it's been fun we had a cold day like minus 20 ish celsius here and uh, and uh clear skies full moon right now so it's been a great day so far well, and we sauna, were... sauna later today lucky you well congratulations in advance on the sauna and uh congratulations on the new record clear cold beyond now when did you actually finish the record um, we delivered our parts at the end of August as planned, and our, our original idea was to actually release the album in October already, together with the tour that we had in with Stradivarius. But then it came as a little bit of a shock that because of the, because of the vinyls, that their uh, schedule is that release the earliest release time is five months later than you delivered the parts because of like all the uh, vinyl plants are super busy. So that was a right. huge shock, but I, I, was, I was super happy and we were very happy that we were able to release a one one of those uh, digital singles before the tour. So we had at least something fresh to play on that European tour. So it's all good. And actually it gave us a lot of more uh, relaxed schedule with promotion and, and coming up with videos and everything. So it, uh, it's actually, a, this is something I would actually prefer also in the future you have some rest time after you're been working hard on the album and everything and then you can relax a little bit and then start with fresh thoughts and eyes and and and, and the whole thing you know start doing the promotion instead of being completely burned out right right <laughs> when the album is out so <laughs> i'm glad you got a christmas a little bit of a break before you go into the heavy duty work mode so when you're playing yeah. 
upcoming concerts. How much of Clear Cold Beyond are you playing in the concert? Are you playing one or two songs? Or are you going, here's the whole album. You're going to listen to the whole album. At the time of the, the release of the album, we will have four singles out then at that point. So the, at least those four, but we have a plan for fifth song. So it might be probably going to be five songs from Clear Cold Beyond and then a lot of old Sunot Arctica material fitting to the set list of this one. So, so some bads, of course, obviously everybody needs to hear Talula for the hundred thousandth time. <laughs> but, but still, it, 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 it's fun to play and the people seem to enjoy it. So we're trying to find the songs that are uh, loved by the people and that they can sing along and make a great live experience for it and promote the new stuff at the same time. Well, you're at a fascinating point in your career where people aren't expecting a single. They're just expecting it to sound like your band. You have your own sound. Your songs can be as long as you want them to be. You don't have a record company going, please give us a two minute, 40 second song. They're just going, give us an album. It sounds like you. Great. When did you kind of realize that your band was its own industry, that you didn't have to give the singles? Uh, well, we still sort of are asked for singles, but luckily they are only alongside with the album that we have the album and we don't have to go in the studio and just record one single, just having something out. So it's, it's a, and of course, you know, business-wide smart idea to have a song that is fit to be a single, something that can be can probably get some air. So it, it but very early on, I did, just didn't care much. I just kept doing whatever it was that I was doing, anyways. So and uh, luckily, there were were a lot of these uh, single fit songs there on every album, and so we were able to come up with a single and. Uh, <laughs> it's been fairly we were lucky in that sense always by single i meant the okay the chorus needs to be here it needs to sound like this you need to use an All outside right. songwriter and it doesn't seem like your band has had that pressure in the last 15 years to to be commercial to be anything but the sonata arctica we're fans of yeah, well, I've done some adventuring when it comes to songwriting, written songs that are at least on the surface a little bit complex and not not the single material per se. But that's the kind of music I grew up listening to when I was a kid, and and uh, that's the sort of thing that comes naturally for me, like the pop formula where we have an intro that is probably something along the sides of the uh, chorus line later on in the song, and then you have like the verse and the pre-chorus and, and then the chorus thing and then maybe some extra bit later on on the song and repeat. And, and that's fairly easy. And coming up with a four-minute song, which is like the perfect length for a single, for radio and all that, at least it used to be. Uh, so it, 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 it comes very quick, quickly. And it's uh, oftentimes it's more demanding to write a short song than a long song. Hmm. Uh, at least that's what I've noticed that you the four minute line comes up very quickly if you want to have a chorus that you repeat <laughs> once and twice and then have a maybe uh, like a modulation bit <laughs> at the end the Eurovision style kind of thing yeah Eurovision thing. So, exactly yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well were you and th this is a compliment here 
I think of you as a sophisticated musician making sophisticated oh, music that's loud. But were you ever into dumb music? Well, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, and then I had my first car, for example, I was listening to all kind of <laughs> so I don't mean, but hello, bar, I'm the Barbie girl. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> so, yeah, dumb, yeah, dumb style, yeah. yeah. And, and well, that was just the first example that popped into my mind, but like Dr. Alban and all those, like it was mostly that. And then Queen and, and Midnight Oil and such, but which are smart, super smart, both of those. But, but still, there was also this I had uh, this pop music current pop music with a like really strong bass doom, doom, it had an appeal for me and and in some point i was like demoing writing my home th things also in that style but I'm, I'm very very fortunate that i grew out of that <laughs> eventually First thing I'm going to say is, hi, how are you? And how is your day going aside from doing press today? Because let's face it, some people love doing press more than others. <laughs> uh, uh, hi, I'm good. Um, my day is great. Um, <laughs> and I do, I have like four back to back today. So I'm just like sitting here, I'm snacking in between. I opened the door a little bit because my cat was like, can I please come in? You've been in the office all day. <laughs> yeah, when you do a lot of junkets like I do, usually the talent has one project to talk of. And in your case, not only are there multiple projects, sometimes you're on screen, sometimes you produced it and wrote it, tiny chance you directed it, but- Not, not really yet. That is, that's the next- IMDb frontier. says otherwise. IMDb <laughs> some talks- Some shorts, some shorts. <laughs> sure, so what is the, the current project that we should be touting? It's the Valentine's Day themed one? Yeah, I mean, I guess we can talk about Baked with a Kiss. Um, last weekend, that's coming out on UpTV. I, I don't know if it's on Valentine's Day anymore. I think they might have moved it. Oh. But it is coming out on UpTV in February. And then last weekend on UpTV came out, or Love on Retreat came out. Those I both just acted in. Mm -hmm. And then I'm working on one that I can't talk about. That is my most exciting project for a major streamer. That I just, I'm writing it. Um, and that will be out this summer. The Hulu Christmas one that you recently had, yeah. that was a really big deal project. Now, did you know outright that you wanted to have multiple jobs tied to that one? I asked them because sometimes somebody writes a screenplay and they go, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your case, you took on multiple jobs. Yeah. So that's, that, uh, it's a Christmas frequency. Um, and it was my first project with Hulu, which was a dream come true. Um, when I wrote the script, it was a couple of years ago and it went through development with multiple different people, multiple different networks. We had actors attached, we had directors attached and nothing really got off the ground. And then Vanessa Shapiro at Nicely Entertainment read the script and she was like, I want to make this. I said, great. I think I want to star in it. And she was like, okay, great. And I had done a couple movies for her, Baked with a Kiss on Up TV is hers. And then we did one called A Perfect Christmas Pairing that's Amazon freebie. Um, as just an actress. And so she knew me as an actress. And so she trusted me enough to do it. And then when it came to producing, that was my second one that I produced. And I asked, I said, can this, can this be one that I, cause I'm still learning. Like I'm not, I'm not in charge of anything really. <laughs> I'm just, I beg to differ. 
<laughs> I'm just learning how to do it from the people who have, who have done it before me. So I can eventually do it on my own. When you say you're not in charge, if your name is going on it and you have the right to do press on behalf of it, <laughs> you, you kind of matter. Right. But I, I had people above me who were making the big, scary decisions that I'm like, I don't even know what this means. <laughs> well, nowadays, I think it's very normal to find that the actor also wrote it and or directed and or produced. Yes. I think we started, we, the public started noticing that maybe the Ben Stiller movies or the Judd Apatow movies. Oh, but, Judd you know, is the best. But 40 years ago, that wasn't the norm. Yeah. At, so in your case, was it the plan all along to no. be able to write your own content? No. Um, I have been an actor my entire life. Uh, did my first professional job when I was 12. Like this is just something that I have always been, has always been very important to me. And I hit a little bit of a, a slump around 2018. And I decided, well, my type is very common. I'm, you know, the, my look is is all over the place. There's a lot of us in LA. So, so I said, well, what could I do that would set me apart? And that was writing. And I had always been interested in writing, but I never thought about it as something that could be produced, if that makes sense. So yeah. my mind switched in 2018 of just trying to figure out how to do it. And I had a writing partner at the time and we learned how to write a pilot, a show by, but we learned how to pitch. We learned how to do a deck. And it was, I'm really thankful that I had her at that time because I don't know if I would have gone through all of the steps that you need to mm -hmm. in order to be a, a legitimate screenwriter, because it, there is so much to learn. And I didn't go to school for it. My degree is in public relations. <laughs> it's not anywhere in the entertainment industry. Disagree. So, <laughs> the PR people know more how to do every job than anybody. You're right. That is true. Well, you you have to be a, a Jill of all trades if you if you work in PR. So if I could rudely interrupt you, yeah, the PR people can negotiate the deals. They know the rights. They know how to talk the talent off the ledge. Combination: <laughs> psychiatrist, manager, agent. Yet you're not getting any of the commissions. Right. Yeah. I feel my, I feel like my lawyer is that for me <laughs> sure. and she does get commissions. Got it. So, <laughs> so I took you way off course there, but you've also notably found a lot of success in the Christmas space. Yes. And that's a genre that I think only the last five years, I could be wrong on the number of years, but only the last five or so years that people go, I want to watch Christmas movies. And I say yeah. that because if the father-in-law comes over, you know, he wants to watch the Scrooge 38, the Scrooge 51. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful life, a Christmas story. But there haven't been these seminal Christmas movies until recent years. Yeah. When did you start to notice that it wasn't a curse to be working on Christmas movies? Like it wasn't looked down upon. Yeah, I really tried not to work in Christmas movies. <laughs> Uh, my original goal, I want my, and still my big goal is I want to write TV comedy. I want to do half hour single cam sitcoms is what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but when it came to what could I sell, I was realizing that 184 of these or 200, whatever of these are made for the different networks every year. So I figured, well, the barrier to entry is lower here because they make so many. So if I can just learn how to be that, and my middle name is Noel. And mm -hmm. I'm born around Christmas. So I was like, you know what? Let me just dive right into this Christmas queen. <laughs> just... that, that's, that's genius that you realize the odds game of that whole thing. Now, has that helped you for the comedy oh, yeah. world? Or is that, do you have to pay your dues all over again? Oh, to get to getting into TV? 
Um, it's a totally different world. I'm also, I've, I'm writing novels now. So I'm on my third book and that, that. that, because I haven't really talked about it yet because nothing's out, but that is so different too, where I'm learning that things are really in their lane, where if you're working in like the rom-com space, right. it doesn't matter if you're working for Netflix or Hulu or Paramount plus it, or Hallmark, Great American Family or Up TV. They're all kind of the same in the, in the way that like, they have the nine act structure. They have the love interest with the the twist and whatever. So like you can kind of tailor what you're writing for those different networks and your resume plays in, in the, the field. But when it comes to TV, I've never been a staff writer. I've never sold a pilot. I've had a show optioned, but it hasn't been made yet. So I haven't ventured into that. So when people look at my resume, they're like, oh, well, actually we, we would love to see if you'd maybe want to write this movie. So I just like keep doing the, the film world. Eventually I hope to pop over to TV. That's, that's the goal. You just mentioned one of the buzzwords, a nine act story or a nine act project. <laughs> Are you able to enjoy movies knowing no. that 99% of them? <laughs> no. And I'll ruin them for my husband too. I'll be like, okay, so that's the end of act one. And he's like, stop talking. <laughs> But sitcoms are sitcoms a nine act thing because yeah. I know you have your no, they're three a story acts. B story, but yeah. how many acts? They're three acts. Um, the thirty minute structure is more like a traditional three act structure. So, are you able to enjoy sitcoms, or those are ruined too? I like sitcoms because I think people who write sitcoms are way smarter than me, because they're just like Shit's Creek specifically, or like. Yeah. Arrested Development or The Office, like they're just so funny and they're they're humming on so many different levels that when I'm writing a, a movie, it's usually plot driven with a relationship base. And so like, that's a very, not simple, but like I can stick different things into that formula. Whereas if you're doing six seasons of Schitt's Creek, you're you're worried about Moira and Alexis and, D and David and like you're, you're popping in all the different the different things so so no i i don't the formula for comedy is just i love it so uh, on to you here because now i'm learning about the books i didn't know about that <laughs> on top of all the different projects we've talked about we're sometimes actor writer yeah. producer aspiring director we'll we'll compromise at that i say yes. that you're a director IMDb <laughs> says so but what do you do to decompress because if you're creative all the time yeah go nuts but at the same time, looking at your credits, you're kind of on that Tyler Perry path of too many <laughs> credits and we can't keep track of you. So what do you do? Um, I love podcasts, all different kinds of podcasts. I love a true crime. I love self-help. I love a, a daily news like Michael Barbaro, like <laughs> of all of it. So I like to listen to a podcast while I'm doing something like going for a walk or dusting. If I if something isn't working, like I'm working on a project right now. Um, that's a book and it's an adaptation of a script and it's very, um, it's just not fun at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm taking a lot of breaks. And this morning I went and cleaned behind my toaster, which I hadn't done in a couple months. And then I came back down and was like, oh, okay, I can write a couple words. And so I think taking, knowing when you need a creative pause and maybe that's a day, like some, some days I will, I, on my day planner, I like purposefully schedule it out. I write exactly what I'm going to do. So if I'm writing a book, I write the number of words I'm going to write each day. Yeah. So if it's three to 5,000, I will put a little box for each thousand and I will check it off as I go. And if I don't finish it, I don't usually go to bed until I can check off everything on my day planner. 
as a way, but I don't set unrealistic goals anymore. I used to be like 26 pages of this script and 5,000 words of this book. And I'm going to the gym for two hours. That doesn't work. So if I'm working on a book, like right now, the only thing I'm doing is 3000 words of that book for five days a week to hmm. get that all done. And then I give Saturday and Sunday for additional things. If I need to like the streamer movie that I'm working on, if I have notes on that, that's what I, what I do in between. So are you, an, I couldn't figure out from that answer, if you're <laughs> nocturnal as a writer. I am not. No, no, no. I, I go to bed at like 9.30. I'm. Oh, okay. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you treat the writing like a day job, like yes. office hours. Yes, yes. And I am set up at my desk and I clock in and yeah. I take a lunch break and I usually take an afternoon walk where I call my dad <laughs> and but I have like, I do, I do, I do treat it as, as an office job. And that's how I think I was able to be successful pretty quickly in my career. Mm -hmm. when I, before I had sold my first script in 2018, when I was learning how to do this, I was working as a cater waiter at, at night at a wedding venue. And I Wait, was a so real life party, literally down. party down. <laughs> like wow. that show is so accurate. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry I, to interrupt you there, but no. fascinating. Yeah, and I want to do a show about the wedding venue that I worked at because not just about, not just about cater waiters, but like that wedding venue because it was just such a funny group of people and it was such a funny, like everything we experienced there. Anyway, so I would usually work there at night. During the day, I would have auditions or would be shooting something. But I would, if I didn't, I would work. I would wake up at 8.30, clock in at nine o'clock and I would work until three or four whenever I had to go to my cater waiter job. And I did that every single day. And what that allowed me to do was one, build up the muscle, two, build up the routine, and three, give me a bank of content. So when I went to go pitch to producers, I didn't just have one or two scripts. I had like 20. Wow. Well, please tell me if you do that show that it'll be called Cater Waiter. <laughs> because it's such a catchy title. Yeah. yeah. Well, either, either way, the, the last question, a huge softball to you. We'll, we'll do a softball into a softball here. Uh, okay. What's the last concert that you went to? Oh my gosh. I haven't been to a concert. And I feel I'm very sad about this. I didn't go see Taylor Swift. And I'm a big Swifty. And I didn't go because I don't like crowds and I don't like being out late. That's <laughs> why I didn't go. But I saw it at the movie theater with my friend Sam. So does that count? It counts. You explained <laughs> before that you go to bed at 9 or 9.30. I'm a child. Uh, are you a child? I mean, the number of projects that you're juggling at the same time, let's face it, <laughs> you're doing something right. I need, and, I need the brain rest. So, so the double softball closing here is when it's time to know what we're allowed to know that you're working on, what's the best way to find it out? Is it Instagram? Is it the Hollywood Reporter embargo being Ooh. lifted? What's the way? Um... This one I will definitely post about on Instagram because it's my biggest job I've ever had. Um, I don't know about press because like I said, I'm just the writer on it. They always, this production company always does press. So it will definitely be out in the trades. I will have no control over it, but yeah. I will share it on my social media. Well, make sure they have the right bio for you for the trades. Right. Or the right name that it's spelled right. <laughs> right name, right order of credits. Like yep. put the Christmas movies third or fourth. Right. In the yes. parentheses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fascinating to hear everything you're up to. Looking forward to the future projects and just keep up that great work. Very inspiring what you do and how you do it. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Outrocast. So 
aside from the frantic week and doing press, is it a good week in the life of one Steve Schiltz? <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thanks. Yeah, so big week for you in that, hey, a uh, big, rare, long wave gig, but also the vinyl record, uh, the 20th anniversary. So yeah. how, how long was it in the works for, you know, 20 years? Ha, ha, ha. No, how long was it in the works for it to get oh, the, for the vinyl happening? Yeah, it wasn't easy initially because um, it's owned by Sony. Uh, BMG was our label. It was RCA when the record came out. And yeah. uh, our old manager has a small record label now, and it was his idea uh, to do it. And then I'm trying to think. We tried to do it last year. That Last year was the 20th anniversary. 2003 was when the record came out. Mm -hmm. And um, it just took a while. I think also we wanted to do a show around it we couldn't we didn't want to just do the vinyl and be an online thing or a restores thing we wanted to do a show or some shows about it right and that took a while to to nail down everybody and and get a date that people could work with because we're not i'm the only one in new york anymore so yeah is it new york vietnam san francisco and is there a fourth city or locale for long wave yep so it's yeah saigon is our bass player christian uh lagunitas i think it's it's somewhere in northern california California for Shannon, our guitar player, and Jason, our drummer, lives in Newburgh, New York. So that's not too far away. It's like an hour, an hour, two hours. But um, yeah, so mostly because we have to fly two people in, it was hard to get the, a date sorted out. And then once that was done, everything else kind of started to happen. And there's a video too. Uh, I sent you the video. I think right. That's that's the other component yeah. of it. There's I, I love there. that video. And if I can get thanks, you the me first. too of many compliments right here you know the strangest things does not get old to me it oh, sounds wow. yeah. i'm not gonna say oh it's timeless no i love the songs i love the production dave fridman knocked it out of the park the songs from you and shannon are great but a lot of artists uh that i talk to they don't love their first album they they listen back and they go i would have done that differently and that differently and when you tape a music video you have to lip sync it hundreds of times uh, and you never want to hear it again how do you feel about the record at this point um i've listened to it a bunch in the last week or two and i had to listen to it obviously when we got it together last year started getting it together last year for the vinyl and uh it's not my favorite long wave record which is maybe funny to say my favorite favorites would be the secrets are sinister and if we ever live forever which is the last two we did Mm -hmm. um but there are points in the strangest things that i love and when i hear it now it just kind of sounds like youthful exuberance or something and uh so i i hear personally i hear my inexperience as a singer i hear some of the words i don't love but you know i i kind of have to give myself and the band at the time a break because the band that made that record was playing at the Luna Lounge. Yes. You know, like in New the York. Back the back room Lounge, of the Luna Lounge. Yeah, the Luna Lounge <laughs> was a, a tiny club that held, I think, 65 or 70-something people, and it was free to get in. I mean, we were, like, learning how to play. Shannon had never played guitar before. Um, I had never sung in a band before. So, you know, like, the fact that the record exists the way it does, um, in a way, is, is kind of incredible. So, you know, that that's that's how I feel about it. I'm of two minds about it. I love to hear it now. Um, you know, when we do the show on Saturday, it's going to be playing the record in full. And then 
when I've been running through stuff here, we we're going to do some other songs after that. I, you know, I guess I'm probably a little more excited sometimes about those, but to sing tidal wave again, to sing wake me when it's over. Some of those songs, like when we've gotten together in, in the last couple of years to play, when Shannon starts playing wake me when it's over, it's like, I, I get super excited as well. So, yeah. um, I can see the strengths in the record and I love the record. Um, you know, my, my own hangups are my own hangups about it. Probably. Again, it uh, <clears throat> doesn't get old to me or Kristen Bell. We both. Ah, yeah. She both apparently was a fan. Love the the record there. And I say kudos to you in accident with, in terms of your singing on it is oh, yeah. it's not a lot of high notes. So a lot of artists 20 years later are tuning down the songs. They can't sing like they used to, but it seems like, the easiest songs from your catalog to sing are the first. Yeah. Ones. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. My voice has actually gotten a little bit deeper in the last couple of years, but I can still sing all the long wave stuff um, as well as I ever could. Yeah. Again, people have to detune. And sometimes when you detune a song, a couple of steps down, it doesn't sound like the same song. You, you right. Go, oh no, no, I know. What you oh, mean. that's the hit. <laughs> the the long way stuff. Um, so in long way for the whole life of the band, we would tune our guitars and bass down a half step anyway. And that was because I had been in a band back in my hometown in Rochester where we had done that to help the singer. And so when I started writing songs on my own, like in earnest, I just would keep my guitar in that. So maybe that helps a little bit. I don't know. But it's it's the only band now, the only musical situation I find myself in these days where I would tune down a half step. So when we play on Saturday, I'll have to tune the guitar down a half step to do the stuff. That was actually something I wanted to know about. Now, I started tuning down a half step when I was in high school because I figured out Weezer did that. And then over yeah, time, yeah, yeah, Van oh, Halen, lots of people. Yeah, yeah, Van Halen. And for you, it was just the early band did it and that was it. Yeah, yeah. The first band I was in that was a serious band, like where we kind of toured a little and recorded seriously in a real studio. That band, the guy writing tuned his guitar down a whole step. It was a disaster. He turned the guitar down a whole step. The bass player was in E, like standard, with a five string. And then I was in E flat. And why, I don't remember. It must have had something to do with the first batch of songs we had worked up or something, but you know usually when you're playing guitar with somebody else if you're a guitar player you understand like i'll look over at you and and, and see maybe when where your hand is to like you know maybe if we're learning a song or something and with that situation there was no prayer you know because like yeah. he's in a whole different spot over there <laughs> yeah you're looking at that kind of you have to go that plus two and that guy you have yeah to yeah, yeah 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 there you go so obviously I'm very aware of your discography and you've never More than me. Maybe I, <laughs> I'm impressed. You've never stopped. I think that's the kind of key here that this long wave show comes in the middle of a break from extensive touring with Will yeah. October and their scoring projects and commercial work, et cetera. The music never stops. So what I'm curious about here is how do you stay so prolific? It's not just, well, I pick up a guitar. But a lot of a lot of artists I speak with writing 12 songs every two years is a struggle. Mm. In your case, it seems like it's 12 songs at least a month. Uh, I don't know about that. I think. Well, thanks for that compliment. I think for me, it's a lot of working with people like the Blue October guys. They just like to work. And 
um, I'm not doing all of the heavy lifting. Uh, and with the commercials, that kind of stuff, it's, you know, someone is asking me, they're giving, I, I'm getting some sort of input in all of the things that you're mentioning. It's not like I'm, uh, you know, dreaming it up from the ground up. So uh, it's, it's, it's easier in a, in a way. And it, uh, at this point now, it's also just efficient and, and more enjoyable to uh, be doing things with people who, who like to work. Like I like to work, you know, um, it, that's killed a lot of, things in the past for me where we start talking to somebody about working up something or other and and then it just kind of dies you know like I, I i might start something and then it's not reciprocated or whatever it is and those projects never last very long so for mm -hmm. these days it's more about you know if i get a new song from justin from blue october to, to work on he might say i need a, a verse here or you know and, and i'll say right like I'm on it. It's easy, you know, in, in a, not easy, but it's, it's, it's now I have a framework and um, I have a very defined mission. Whereas, yeah, I think if you left me alone and said, make anything you want, you know, for, it might be harder <laughs> to do that. Got it. So, so to rudely interrupt you, it sounds like a deadline and or a collaboration and or some framework and the, the creativity comes to you easy. But if somebody goes, Hey, write another long wave album. That's torture. <laughs> Not torture, but yeah, I, I would, uh, at that point you have to impose some sort of framework on it yourself or else it won't get done. You know, if I, if I were to say, I mean, there, there are folders of unfinished songs that I have and that's exactly the story with them. You know, nobody has, I, I have not put them into any kind of framework where I would have, uh, a way you know like a like a motivation to finish by a certain date or whatever it is like you just said like so those things kind of just hang out over here and then at some point blue october needs something long we need something then i'll go plunder the folder you know and, and then impose it, its framework on it you know it's it's just uh it's just a way to get things done you know i think people who don't uh maybe maybe you don't write music all the time or it does seem like maybe I'm, you know, the person who does is walking around like out of their head on creativity or something. But it, it really has to have a framework and, and a and a like a a deadline helps like just something because I do come here every day and I work on something. And those are the things that get finished. Right now, that is an intriguing point for me as well, where when you start off as a musician, you're a lot younger. I presume you're nocturnal that it's a lot of rehearsing at night, writing at night, tracking at night. And now as a family man, you yeah. treat it like a day job. So yeah. when did you notice that flip that you could write and create in the daytime and be less vampire-y? Um, I still wish I would be able to have, but I, you're like you said, I have kids and it's it's not the same way. And at, at some point, it's just, um, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy coming here, working. I enjoy leaving <laughs> at the end of the day. So, at, um, and in between, I, I enjoy working. Um, I don't know I, it, when it flipped like that. When I, I think the part of the reason it had to be nocturnal before is because I had a, a day job. So that was the only time I had. And I loved staying up late and getting lost, like in your head, like into the fog, you know, and I miss that for sure. Um, I'm not sure it's the same sort of output now as it would have been back then. But on the other hand, it's nice to be clear in the morning and, and like be sharp and, 
and really get things done too. So they both have their advantages. Have you noticed that same thing putting you on the spot here with a lot of your other friends who came up with on the Lower East Side Brooklyn scene of the early 2000s, the the yeah. other people who got signed and toured the world, that they became family people and they no longer were these nocturnal beings? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody, nah, I, I, I'm trying to think, I'm running through friends like you're mentioning in my head. Uh, because, you know, a compliment on the record is ever, everyone likes to really love Steve. It's a range, but oh, you're gosh. The, the, the people that doesn't collaborate or work well with others. So I figure when I say friends, you actually have those things. Not everybody uh, has friends in the music business. Some people oh, yeah. on that own island. And then other people, they go, hey, here's a guitar. You want to come up stage on stage? Yeah, sure. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm really fortunate. I have long wave are still my best friends. Blue October. At the, I've been great friends with for 15 years at this point. Um, there's a band called Wah together that isn't playing a whole lot right now, but it's me and two other dads and a, like rock dads and um, a singer named Jaco. But all those things, it's you're working during the daytime and you do it like your job. I mean, I think that's the only way to, sustainably be it have it be your job you know i i think I, I would love to in some ways like be working all through the night but i think that would take a huge toll on the everything else in my life <laughs> so i'm not willing to make that make that sacrifice right now my kids are young i like taking them to school you know it's good Outro.